Well, good evening, everybody. I seem to do this all the time. I've got all these... So I'm going to have to find where I'm reading tomorrow morning. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. My name's Stuart, and I'm the vicar here, and it's great to be with you, especially if you're new. I'd love to meet you afterwards if you are. Um, but um, as we look at this passage, will you pray with me um, before we dive in? Lord, it's so good to gather in your presence, and it's so good to worship you. I thank you that we can pray. We can come and bring uh, the things on our heart before you. And now, as we look at your word, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and dwell upon us, on each one of us here, on me as I speak, that we would hear what you have to say to us this evening. Amen. Well, I don't know whether you've, uh, you feel this as well, but it feels like sometimes life can just get really quite complicated quite quickly. Uh, you kind of look up and you think, how did all of this happen? I've got so many, so many things to juggle, so many things going on at once. Uh, it was kind of brought hope for me, home to me this summer when I, when I moved house. I don't know whether you've moved house recently. Maybe you moved to Cambridge, uh, you had to bring all your stuff. And you kind of suddenly realize, wow, there are so many things to do when you move house. You know, you've got to change your doctor's uh, you've got to, uh, you know, check, let the bank know where you've moved to so they send money to the right place. Uh, change your bills, any subscriptions, otherwise uh, my coffee subscription will be going to the wrong house. Any prescriptions, uh, it just goes on and on where, you know, parking permits. And you think, how did, so many, how did life get so complicated? I've got all these things going on at once. And as you get older, you seem to find that you've got more and more hats to wear, more and more things you're trying to juggle. So, you know, you're trying to be um, maybe a good employee, and then you start managing a few people. Then you're also trying to be a good, uh, a good boss as well. You're trying to be a good flatmate for people you're living with or housemate, trying to be a good tenant, or maybe, maybe uh, you're renting to people, maybe a good spouse, a good friend to, I mean, how many friends can you have anyway, and how far can they, and they move all over the world, and you're trying to be a good parent and godparent and all these things. And you think, wow. Life's got complicated, hasn't it? <laughs> and sadly, um, it, it, life doesn't just get complicated because of the good things that God brings into our life, but also it can get complicated in other ways, things that get grip of us, even when we um, aren't looking for them. Uh, last week, I read an article entitled Winning 147,000 Pounds. Winning 147,000 pounds was the worst day of my life. And it was a reminder of the reality of, of, of gambling addiction, um, something that one of my friends struggled with. And these things do just get a hold of us sometimes. Maybe they're difficult habits to shift in our life, big ones or small ones. Maybe just a difficult relationship with alcohol. Why do I always need to seem to end the day by having a drink? Or uh, maybe uh, it's pornography. Or maybe it's shopping, or maybe it's uh, just checking the internet, whatever it might be. And it can be spiritual things as well. We get involved in spiritual things, so not of, of, of Jesus. And, and, and we think, how do I get out of this? Or cycles of relationships. Why do I keep doing this? I keep coming back to this place. Why did I explode at that person again? What, how am I here again? Or for some of us, it's just the seemingly insatiable drive to succeed. And we just think, am I driving this or is this driving me? 
Life can get complicated. So what does the cross have to say about these things, about normal life, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly? Over the last few weeks, we have been looking at the cross, and we've been looking at it from different angles, and I, for one, have really enjoyed the time to do that. And we've seen the cross as a place of God's confounding wisdom. We've seen it as a place of, of God's justice and of his mercy. And last week, we looked at it at the place where God demonstrates his love for us. But what does the cross have to say to uh, say about all these things in our life? That despite the fact that we might be forgiven Christians who know that the Lord loves us, still somehow seem to take hold of us, to grip us. The good things and the bad things that just sort of seem to hem us in. Well, today I want to talk about um, something else that the cross does that is absolutely core to the way the apostles and the New Testament understands the cross, but which I think not, we don't often talk about in church, and uh, many of us might not have thought about very much. Today, I want to talk about the freedom that the cross brings, because on the cross, you and I died. The freedom that comes from the cross, because on the cross, you and I were put to death with Jesus Christ as he died there. Now, that might sound a little bit strange. Uh, maybe it's strange because uh, many of us have got used to hearing about the cross, thinking about the cross, and we tend to think of, the, on the cross, Jesus died for me. He died, if you like, instead of me. He died in my place. So he died, so I get to live. And we looked at that a few weeks ago. And of course, that's absolutely true. But actually, the, the New Testament way of understanding what was going on the cross goes deeper than that. Actually, uh, what the New Testament says is that as Jesus died there, we died with him. And then as he rises again, we share also in his risen life. And that means that, <laughs> that means that when Jesus died, you and I died on the cross. And that is what Paul is getting, um, getting at in this passage in 2 Corinthians. So I'm just going to read a line from that again. We are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Or a, a similar passage in Romans. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You and I, if we follow Jesus, if we know him, we are dead and buried. And that is great news, Paul thinks. That is actually great news, not just because of the new life that it leads to on the other side of that, but actually because as we, we die with Christ, it sets us radically free, radically free. Um, 
Now, film and literature are actually full of stories of people who pretend to die uh, to be free of something. It's not hard to think, actually, of this kind of trope. So, um, you only live twice. The famous James Bond film begins, of course, with James Bond, or supposedly James Bond, being buried at sea so that he can be free to sneak up on Spectre. Um, that's one example. Maybe a more recent one, the BBC adaptation of Sherlock Holmes. You might remember that in, was it series three, I think, he pretends uh, to, uh, to jump off a, a building so that he can escape uh, Moriarty, and, uh, and then he's free to investigate. Or Harry Potter. Now, hopefully I've got you with one of these three. Harry Potter, you might remember that Peter Pettigrew uh, he, he does something similar to escape uh, Sirius Black, and he pretends to be a rat for like 12 years, which I definitely would have picked a different animal. Maybe you're into literature, and uh, it's the famous adventures of Tom Sawyer, uh, where the mischievous little boy Tom uh, wants to go and play on a desert island with his, uh, his friend Huckleberry Finn, but he doesn't want any of the pesky adults coming to find him or telling him he needs to come home. And so him and his friend fake their drowning much to the dismay of the townsfolk, but they think they can get away with it. <laughs> or, and this apparently is real, but I haven't really che checked it up. I just found it on the internet somewhere, so you have to do it yourself. According to the historian Suetonius, when Emperor Nero held special, special musical recitals and refused to let anyone leave for hours and hours, no matter how pressing the reason, some members of the audience would pretend to die in order to be carried out. <laughs> So now I'm onto this scheme during sermons, so it's not going to work. Of course, in all of these cases, the point was, the reason was freedom. Freedom. Why? Because dead men pay no debts. They owe no dues. They fulfill no obligations. They live up to no expectations. Death is the ultimate disconnection from all the ob obligations that we might have to the world. And now, of course, um, in all of these stories, it's about people pretending to die, aren't they, to escape. Um, and often, at the end of the story, they get their comeuppance for it. But as we read the scriptures, we find that Paul doesn't seem to talk about this as if it's something fake or something we just dream up. He talks about it in very concrete terms. So I'm just going to read another passage from Colossians chapter 3. Paul says this, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Here's the thing to understand. That's really at the center of the way that the New Testament talks about um, being a Christian. When we, when we choose to follow Jesus, when we choose to put our faith in him, that isn't just something that happens in our head, like we just start believing something new, although we do. But actually, God comes and does a work in us. God comes and connects us and unites us with Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Almost in, 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 a, in a physical way, he comes and takes hold of us and unites us with Jesus. And when that happens, it's like we're plugged into Jesus 
with one of those two-pronged plugs, you know, the ones you use for a shaver or something, two, two prongs. And there's two things that we connect to into Jesus. One, of course, is his risen life, but the other is his death. And both of them flow into us and begin to determine our whole realities. And so when Jesus was crucified on that cross, in, in a mysterious and yet very concrete way, if you're connected to Jesus, you died there too. And actually, uh, if we look in the scriptures, we find that it's not just us, actually. In some sense, the whole world has come to an end on the cross. It is, it is, it is God's stop sign to the world as it currently is. It's like this tube line will terminate at the next stop. All passengers who wish to continue must change at the next platform. Or the motorway ahead is now shut. All vehicles must exit at the next junction and find an alternative route. No part of this creation has any future if it does not go through Jesus, if it does not plug into the death and the resurrection of Jesus, he's the key. Read the book of Colossians, the whole thing about it. Jesus is at the center of the universe. The old is gone and the new is here and coming. And what this means is, the good news that we're thinking about today is that you and I who are plugged into Jesus are radically, radically free. And Paul mentions two ways in which we're free in this passage. First of all, Paul says that we are free from ourselves. We're free from ourselves. So he says, he died, that's Jesus, he died on behalf of all in order that the living might no longer live for themselves. You know, we are so obsessed with ourselves, aren't we? Um, you know, we're just constantly thinking and living for ourselves, but we are a tyranny for ourselves. Maybe it's self-indulgence that need to please ourselves. You know, maybe a maybe hundred years ago, two hundred years ago, most of life was taken up with surviving, with working. You know, there wasn't much, uh, there wasn't much free time. We have more spare time, more leisure, more resources, most of us, now than we ever have in history. And yet it doesn't seem to be enough, does it? And as I talk to people, and I recognize this slightly in myself, it, it's like you, you see again and again bump into people for whose whole driving force in their life is, is to try and maximize their pleasure time and maximize their leisure time. Maybe you recognize that feeling, living for the end of the day. <laughs> living for the weekend, living for the holiday. Or maybe it's that kind of, uh, just that worry of missing out. Am I enjoying life enough? Am I squeezing enough juice out of life? Or, or, or is someone else having fun without me? It's a tyranny. Or maybe it's a self-expression. Self-expression. Um, it's kind of almost become an axiom, a, a sort of fundamental truth in society today, um, that you've got to be 100% yourself and just e express that. 
And some of us have bought into the lie that unless you are, are fully expressing all of your impulses, all of your desires, uh, you're just fully being you, then you, you can never be happy. But again, we have never been more free as a society. And we have never been more unhappy either. It's deeply suffocating. Or maybe it's um, self-development. Um, one of my favorite uh, TV programs is a, is a, is a sitcom called uh, Parks and Rec. Um, it's absolutely brilliant. It's set in small town America in the um, Parks and Rec department of the local government, and it's hilarious. But there's this one character called Chris Traeger, and he is kind of this stereotype. He's the guy who gets up at 5 a.m. in the morning to go do a marathon before work. He won't eat anything unless it's green, multivitamins, and he's got five-point way of doing everything. He's the most positive chap ever, and he's just go, 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 go. And actually, everyone loves him because he's super friendly. But as the show goes on, we also find that he's also the most deeply unhappy of all the characters. And it's because he lives in constant fear of not being all he can be. He's constantly terrified of not achieving his full potential. And you know, I think for some of us, that, that's what really gets to us. It's not outside, it's not anyone else pushing us or anything like that, it's just ourselves. We're terrified of not being everything we could be. I wonder whether you recognize that feeling. You know, I've just become a parent, now I have to be the best parent ever. <laughs> or I'm studying, and I don't care what anyone else gets, but I need to do the best I can do. Or even, I'm a Christian, I need to be the best Christian I can possibly be. But you need to hear this evening that if you are plugged into Jesus, if you're following him, if he defines your life, then you have died with him. Your life has ended. Why would you work on the career of a dead person? <laughs> Why would you try and indulge a life that has ended? And, and this might sound a very odd thing to say, <laughs> but some of us need to hear this tonight. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have no obligation to you. You have no obligation to you. You are free. Another thing Paul mentions here is we are free from worldly valuation, from worldly valuation. And this is actually what he's addressing in this passage when he's talking to the, to the Corinthians, because the Corinthians want a church leader who... Um, impresses their neighbors, somebody who's rich and powerful and connected and can hold influence in their city. That's who they want. That's what they think they need. And he's pushing back on that. Did you know that um, human beings are the only animals that are known to exhibit the trait of prestige? Prestige is the instinct or the desire to follow or to mimic an individual that the group says is successful. Um, only humans do this. <laughs> really interesting. 
apparently the evolutionary idea behind this is, you know, if you may not know what makes somebody successful, you may not know what they're doing, that's so right, but if everybody else around you says that person is a winner, and you simply mimic everything that they do, consciously or unconsciously, then you're likely to pick up something good and uh, get ahead a little bit yourself. And it's kind of a simple idea, but boy, has it got big consequences writ large on human society. It's the reason why um, someone who scores, uh, you know, who's the winning goal, who's a successful footballer, we're not going to talk about the rugby, <laughs> we'll talk about football. Um, someone who's a successful footballer at the end of the, you know, the match can be interviewed and, and we want to know about their views on politics and ethics, and what are they wearing, and this and the other. We, we, what, why, what? Uh, when someone's successful, when they're rich over here, they've made money, fantastic, we really want to know what they think of ethics. Well, they might know that, but this A does not equal B. And it's easy to laugh at from a distance, but it's just so deeply ingrained in our hearts, and our lives, isn't it? We live under the tyranny of this question, what do other people think of me? How can I be more like what everybody else deems to be a winner? And we, we live for the approval of others. You know, um, many of us, even though we're older, are still living for the approval of our parents, even though they may be long gone, or for the desperate desire to be acknowledged by our peers or honored by our spouses, or friends, or anything. That question, so deep, when will people respect me? But Paul says, he says, he's answering this thing, he's answering this, this worldly way of valuing things, and, and, and he sees it in them, and he says, remember, you have died, we have died. And so we don't judge by the world's standards anymore. He reminds them, we tried that with Jesus, and look where it got us. We missed the Messiah. We missed the Messiah because he didn't have any prestige. He wasn't wearing the right clothes. He didn't have the right friends. Look where that got us. We've died. So don't play that game anymore. You are free. And tonight, maybe you need to just be reminded. You shouldn't care what anybody else thinks of you except for Jesus. It doesn't matter. And in fact, this freedom goes even deeper than just being freed from the bad things in our life. I think sometimes we think that the cross, we think that Jesus just sets us free from, from bad things. But actually, in some ways, the cross uh, sets us free from all things, from all and every obligation in our life. You might remember that uh, Jesus' rather odd reply um, to, to the man who comes to him and says, yes, I want to follow you, but I need to go and bo uh, bury my father first. And he says to him this odd thing. He says, let the dead bury the dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. It's a difficult saying of Jesus. But even this most fundamental obligation to father and to family good though it is, doesn't bind the follower of Jesus. It doesn't possess them anymore. 
Friends, it's, it, it, it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous and exhilarating and terrifying truth to really, to really take in. But absolutely nothing and no one in this world can demand your allegiance anymore. Absolutely nothing and no one in this world can demand your allegiance anymore. You have no obligation to, <laughs> to, to the past, to who you were, to your people, whoever they are, to your country, to your job, to your boss, to your parents, to me, to your family. For you have died with Christ. The old is gone. But of course, that doesn't mean um, that we don't care anymore or that we don't love or that we, there's a, a wrong way of interpreting that, isn't it? That we, um, well, then Christians are just going to be these floaty, otherworldly people who want to be detached from anything. They're going to be bad parents and, 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 bad, and bad employees and maybe neglect themselves. Of course, that's not what we're talking about. But that's because as well as having died, we have also risen with Christ. That's the key. What all of this means is that we come back into the world with a new clarity and a new surety. We come back into all of these relationships that we inhabit, all of these places, into our homes, into our neighborhoods, uh, with only one constraint. Only one demand to be fulfilled in our life. Paul mentions what it is here, the beginning, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. That word compels, it's not just a sort of little push in the back. It, it means to be constrained, it, it mean, to be reined, to be controlled, to be propelled by the love of Christ. As we go into our days and our weeks, we only really have one thing, one demand on us. We ask ourselves, how do I live as somebody Jesus died for? And how do I love as somebody Jesus died for? I know I'm going to live for myself. I don't let me rule me. And I no longer live for anybody else. I, I live for Jesus Christ. What does it mean in this meeting to not worry what everybody else thinks of me, but to live for Jesus? What does it mean at the pub with my friends to, to, to let go of that fear that I have of what they'll think and live for Jesus? I'm dating this person. How, how do I do that in a way that, that I'm, I'm compelled by the love of Christ? And let go of everything else that binds me. Have this sole worry in my life to please the Lord. And the wonderful thing as we do this is actually, as we're free from everything else, we are set free to serve and to love. And we see this in the life of Jesus. If you've read the Gospels recently, you will see Jesus was just the most free person. Absolutely nothing else compelled him. You know, he, 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 there was no authority over him that he admitted. Nobody ever cornered him. There were never any duties he had to fulfill. He was the living God, and yet he, he came into all of those relationships, all of those places, 
all of life. He didn't step away in a floaty, ethereal, didn't care way. He, he gave his freedom to serve. But he had one concern, to please his father. So, don't let your desires, don't let sin, don't let self, don't let society or Satan or anyone else set the terms by which you live. You have died with Christ and you have risen with him. So set your eyes on things that are above and set your heart on pleasing him. For the old is gone and the new is here and you are radically, radically free. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, this is um, just such a big and difficult to take in truth. And we admit that um, actually in many ways we feel much safer with all of life's obligations and the debts we owe and the debts others owe us, Lord. And um, it feels terrifying that we might be free, but also compelled by you. And just ask that as we meditate on this truth tonight and this week, that you would come, Holy Spirit, and apply the power of your death that brings life into our lives in whatever area we need it that you would set us free to live for you and to love for you. Amen.